good thing we have a bunch of women on this podcast because we're talking about the gender gap playing out in voters in the battle to replace Rob Portman this morning. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer for a Friday, the first day of October, last day of September. Tomorrow begins October. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. And let's get right into it. I'm going to ask the question and then sit out the rest of the discussion. Is there a gender gap playing out in voters in the battle to replace Rob Portman as a senator from Ohio? Lisa, get it started. Yeah, there certainly is, uh, especially in the Senate race. Uh, a, a poll done by Siena College and the Spectrum News, they called four, 642 likely Ohio voters. They did this September 18th through the 27th. Um, and they asked several different questions and they, and they, you know, portioned everybody off by race, gender, where they were located in the state and their education level. They found that the number one issue that's influencing the vote for November is economy and the inflation. 47% of men think it's a number one issue, 36% of women do. But women are more likely to cite abortion as their top issue, although it comes in second behind the economy. Men ranked it fourth behind threats to democracy and uh, uh something issues. I can't read my writing. Um, and then, uh, so in the, in the Senate race, Tim Ryan has a big lead with women voters over JD Vance, but Vance has a smaller, but significant lead with men. So this makes this race a statistical tie. Interestingly enough though, in the governor's race, Mike DeWine has a solid lead with women and he has a two to one margin with men over Nan Whaley. And that's similar to other polls. So that's, Kind of interesting that it, it's a big deal in the Senate race, but not in the governor's race. Although Nan Whaley has been such a weak candidate that I'm not really surprised. I mean, you, you've seen almost nothing to recommend her as governor. She's it's She had such a path and she just didn't take it. I don't know, Laura and Layla, you talked to lots of people in your circle. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I think... We, I don't think we'll know till the election just how big abortion is playing because I I think it's a very personal issue, unlike, you know, inflation in the economy, which everybody talks about, like, very openly. So we might I, – I don't know that we'll know, but it certainly is huge for me. And as I tell everybody, if you're, like, upset about abortion, you should be upset about what happens in the state legislature. So we'll see if that affects those races as well. I think it's interesting that abortion ranks so high as an issue among women, but that so does so does DeWine rank so high um, among women um, that that suggests that we're not reading that correctly, <laughs> that women are are pro uh, choice necessarily in this state. Um, right. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I do. I, I, I don't think there's much of a choice there. I think that people looked at what DeWine did in the early part of the pandemic and thought he showed leadership and and he hasn't been the Trumpy nut job that a lot of Republicans are. He's been a fairly balanced yeah, approach. But he so, is clearly not pro-choice. Correct. No, no, he's not. And so I mean, he's he's he is very he, he's never been shy about it like it's his religious belief that's the same reason he's against the death penalty right. right i just think that he has this more grandfatherly like compassionate persona than vance does yeah. and that's why people kind of for they're not thinking it's not first in their mind when they think about him i don't know i think that if i'm if i align with mike dewine in that sense 
and I am not a pro-choice woman, and then I'm asked the question, you know, where does abortion rank among the issues? And I say that it ranks high because I'm a, you know, I am anti-choice, then uh, that skews the result. And you know what I mean? It's not, uh, I, I think that abortion ranking high doesn't suggest necessarily that women are turning out in huge numbers to vote for the pro-choice candidates. And then this poll showed, though, and they said that abortion polling is really difficult because the way the question is worded on the ballot can really affect people's responses. So they did say that there's kind of a margin of error there for that. Interestingly enough, too, um, they they looked at uh, President Joe Biden's approval. Um, his approval with women is uh, 48% support him, 46% don't. That's a plus two net approval for Biden. But men, the net approval for Biden was minus 31. So Biden is obviously reaching more women than men. Okay. Interesting stuff. Check out the story. It's on Cleveland.com and you're listening to Today in Ohio. Is Cuyahoga County Council still moving full steam ahead to buy a toxic site for a new jail where both candidates for county executive has sworn they will not build a jail? Layla, we'll talk about the candidates next, but let's talk about what the council is doing. Yes, the Justice Center Executive Steering Committee, which is guiding this decision-making process along, is, is meeting this morning to vote, I'm sorry, Tuesday morning to vote on whether that toxic site that once was used as an oil refinery on Transport Road is acceptable for the new jail. And that decision is supposed to inform the county council's decision on whether to spend $20 million to buy that site and whether to extend the quarter percent sales tax to pay for that project. And we've been waiting for a while for this steering committee vote. They were supposed to make their recommendation back in April, but they decided to take a little more time to study the environmental concerns on the site and to ask for a second opinion on whether the current jail and justice center could be renovated rather than building new. We're going to um, hear presentations on both of those next week. Caitlin Durbin will be there, of course. We've heard the environmental presentation before. We know what the key concern there is. Benzene, very harmful carcinogen. It's in the air there. It's rising through the soil. So how do you mitigate that so it's safe for people to live and work in those conditions? That's the real key question. As for the report on whether renovation is a good alternative to building new, it sounded like Judge Brendan Sheehan, who who sits on that steering committee, was a little suspicious about the outcome of that report because he and Prosecutor Mike O'Malley's office were the ones who ponied up the money to fund that study, and yet the consultant provided the results of the study first to Jeff Applebaum, who's shepherding the jail construction project for the county and is hell-bent on building the new facility on the toxic site. And Applebaum told Cleveland.com that the report says that building that building a new jail is the way to go. And we haven't seen the report yet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of strange that, that the consultant would give him the results first. But the bottom line here is there are three members of the committee who have consistently voiced their concerns or disapproval with the site for the new jail, Judge Sheehan, Prosecutor O'Malley, and Public Defender Colin Sweeney. If those three vote no, it very well could torpedo their recommendation to counsel and put counsel in the very uncomfortable position of having to decide whether to move forward without no. the approval of the steering committee that they it, created for this purpose. It doesn't, though. They don't have to move forward. That's the whole problem. Look, getting back to what you said about the consultant, there is something sinister going on there. The council wouldn't pay the consultant. So 
O'Malley and Sheehan took money from their budgets right. to pay the consultant. Exactly. The consultant started to talk to the county engineer and O'Malley and, and Sheehan heard about it and said, whoa, 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 whoa. We're paying you. You answer to us, not to them. And then the consultant gave the report to the county. Something smells there. Right. That, that doesn't, if you, if I'm paying you, you're supposed to report to me. And the fact that the consultant kept doing that, it makes you wonder whether the consultant has been promised something down the road. Very shaky there. But look, we've talked about this and talked about this. And, you know, what you're describing is, is you know, sounding almost like it's an objective thing. Yeah, they're trying to decide what to do. And they shouldn't do it because Armin Budish is leaving office in three months. Three months from today, he'll be gone. And the next administration will be the one that has to carry this out. There is no reason to have this meeting next week. Or they could wait till election day, which is what, six, five weeks away? And once they know who the next executive is, start working with them if they want to get moving in November and December. There's something smelly about why they're continuing to rush. And I should point out, Lisa, Layla, you'll know this. We did an endorsement interview with County Councilwoman Nan Baker this week, Mm -hmm. and she was clueless. We asked over and over again, why the rush? And she just gave us weird talking points where she was not really cognizant of the weight of what she was doing. It was striking how little she seemed to understand it. At one point she said, well, yeah, I don't know what Ronane's position is, which is like, how can you not know that? You're a county council person. He's been very public about it. Well, and it. she Again, also we'll said, you know, well, what, what candidates say uh, on the campaign trail is a lot different from what they would say if they were actually in the leadership position. And so we'll see when one of them actually gets elected, what they have to say about this. But what was dumb about that is that was a justification for moving forward. And it's like, what? Okay. She could not answer the question of why would you move forward so close to the end of of this administration when you're about to turn over, you know, turn over power? My takeaway is that they are being bamboozled by people that want to buy this site. That the only people they're hearing from are the ones that want this site. They're not hearing from people that might have common sense objections to it. Like Maybe that's because they didn't go to that public meeting. Well, that's true. And, she and Nan Baker didn't have an answer for that either. Nan Baker is the only council person that has a challenger, although not really. The challenger is invisible. So she's the only one we got to talk to, and we gave her credit for answering the questions. But I, I was struck by the shocking ignorance that she had. At one point, we were talking about benzene and whether you can cap it. And she asked us, well, do you know? It's like, wait, yeah. wait, what's wrong with this picture? You're the council person. You're about to vote on I this. Know. You should have the answer to that question. We're not the council people. So it's a shock. It's uh, The whole thing is stinky in the high, high level. It's today in Ohio. Okay, both candidates for county executive have made statements about the jail in recent days. Laura, what did they say? They said, don't build it there. Don't buy the site. Don't do it. They're not pussyfooting around this. This is very clear. Uh, They basically, Ronane pointed out problems with the contamination, the safety, the accessibility um, of the property, and he urged council not to rush into buying the land. He said, if they do, he's going to still pause contracting and try to sell it potentially at a loss. I think they're looking at $20 million for this property, right? So he'd say, I'm going to get rid of it even if I'm not going to make the money back. Um, 
Weingart also asked them to apply the brakes. He said he would cut ties with the hired consultants on the project and sell the same property. So it does seem really short-sighted for counsel to say we're going to do this when both people who could be there, you know, the next executive are saying, don't do it. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm going to sell this land. Obviously, we just talked about how toxic it is and the problems with it. Yeah, I it the fact that the election is, you know, whatever it is away, five, five and a half weeks, it, 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 there is absolutely no reason they should be voting on this on Tuesday. And the, the fact that they're moving forward, you really have to question who gains, who, who's gaining from this, because the taxpayers will obviously lose if they buy it. Both county executives say, not a chance we're going to do it. We'll sell it even if we lose millions. So why do it? Lee Weingart also had a proposal that actually is completely unworkable on how to how to replace the jail more cheaply. What was that? Well, he wants to focus on diversion and treatment to reduce the jail population um, specifically. I, I don't know exactly what what you were hinting at there. Well, he he put out a proposal where he would renovate Jail 2, the newer of the two jails, for, I guess, the higher security prisoners, and then build another jail at the site of the old juvenile court and juvenile detention center. Oh, right, right. And that, you know, that's not going to happen. I mean, it's just, you can say right now, there's 100% certainty that won't happen, that they've tried to do things that, you know, Armand Budish wanted the diversion center to be there. And the city council person representing it said, not a chance. That's not what we want in our neighborhood. Separately, there's this plan to use that land to build a land bridge over the highway right. and reunite the divided neighborhoods, which has a lot of enthusiasm from Cleveland State and Tri-C and all the people in the neighborhood. And so it's odd for Lee Weingart to say that's the answer, especially because it's not big enough to build a jail with modern theories. You'd have to build a tower. You can't build right. a two-story site. It's too small. So it was disappointing that, that, that he did that because it almost showed... He, he's not been paying attention to the discussions on that site. He just, hey, I got an idea. Let's do this and puts out well, a position paper. And Ronane really wants to keep the jail and courthouse together and he wants it closer to public transit. He said that spot on transport um, is, is like a pit, basically. It's not well served by public transportation. So I don't know. We haven't even looked at the courthouse renovation because there's no money for it, right? There's no funding source. So the county is moving forward with this jail plan without any idea what they're going to do with the courthouse. Well, they would have money if they didn't spend <laughs> $66 million in slush funds and they didn't spend $50 million on the MedMart. They'd have $116 million they could spend on the courthouse. It's hilarious that they now say they have no money when they're squandering it left and right. Well, and, and so Dale Miller is the only council person I think that we've heard from that says, yes, you're right. We should wait. Well, it's going to be we'll make sure we list every council person who votes to move forward. Uh, and then that'll hang on them if they ever have a challenger when they run for re-election. It's today in Ohio. NOPEC was recreated to help Northeast Ohio re- residents save some money on utilities, but now its existence is threatened for doing just that. What does the agency say are the reasons it should not be abolished by the state? Lisa, this is the weirdest turn of events you could have imagined for NOPEC. 
It is. And, you know, earlier in the month, Puko had asked NOPEC to show cause on, you know, how the move of over a half a million of their customers to standard service won't raise electricity rates and didn't break any rules. And they were threatened with getting their business certificate revoked if they couldn't show cause. So NOPEC NOPEC in a filing earlier this week uh, said that, you know, they're, they're defending what they did. They said their, you know, their customers were paying twice as much as people on the standard service offer, which they call SSO. So it was like twelve cents a kilowatt hour for NOPEC customers, six point eight percent, six point eight cents for uh, the SSO. Um, and the Puco was worried because, it, you know, when you dump half a million customers, you know, into the open market, basically, Puco worried about that. They said, you know, it could affect the upcoming auction prices for energy. But NOPEC says, wait a minute, you know, 100,000 customers were already moving to standard service offers. They say that 20,000 left in July and 40,000 left NOPEC in August for SSO. And they said that prices for energy are going to rise with or without NOPEC's action. Uh, they, they pointed to a recent auction in Duke Energy Territory that is not served by NOPEC. There were much higher bids for power there, about 13 cents per kilowatt hour. But that price may change because there are three more auctions coming. Also, they say that they did not violate the 90-day rule, which says you have to give customers 90 days if you're going to terminate their service. But NOPEC says that doesn't apply because they still have about 2% of their customers. They dumped about 97% of their customers. And then they were asked, why now? Why did you decide to do this now? NOPEC CEO uh, Chuck Kuyper says, well, they decided when prices soared with no signs of abating. This is kind of tied to the outbreak of war between Russia and the Ukraine. But he says they're confident they followed the law. They're just trying to help their customers. And of course, they do plan to take them back in June of next year. For some of us who've been around forever, NOPEC still seems like a new idea. <laughs> but but I think for others who weren't around 20 years ago when this all happened, Ohio did not have competition for energy. And so the law was changed to make a competitive market and cities were given the ability to go out and negotiate rates for the residents. But cities are small and they didn't have much bargaining power. Mm-hmm. NOPEC was formed to give significant bargaining power by bringing the cities together. I've complained about NOPEC because they have a automatic opt-in. You have to send a letter to them to opt out, which I think is ridiculous. But this was a good thing to get mm-hmm. people cheaper power. This is an unfortunate turn of events for them, but it would be sad if you took this away because this would lose bargaining power for the consumer. It'll be interesting to see how Puko rules. They don't expect a ruling before like November. So it'll be, you know, almost a couple of months maybe before we see a ruling. But NOPEC also pointed out that 40 other Ohio Ohio energy aggregators that didn't use NOPEC came to an end because of high prices. That sent 100,000 more customers to SSOs. So yeah, it'll be interesting yeah, to see. It's a scary thing. I, I think it's a shame they've been forced to justify their existence. I think their 20 years in business or whatever it is has done it. Sean McDonald's working on a story that's looking at the the history and legacy of NOPEC that should be coming in the next few weeks. I think people who were not around back then will be interested to see it. It's today in Ohio. Cuyahoga County has been beset this year with a crisis involving youth sleeping in a county building for lack of shelter. 
There's other problems with loss of social workers to deal with the youth in this county. So the county is raising the pay for social workers to attract more candidates. Layla, is it enough? Well, I mean, the good news here is that after Cuyahoga Council's vote uh, vote this week, giving social workers a raise, the, the county social workers will be among the highest paid in the state, which at first blush sounds like it would bode well for their recruitment efforts and, and morale. But the bad news is that social workers went from making $20.73 an hour to $26 an hour, and that's only about $54,000 a year to perform What's one of our most important jobs here, working with some of our most vulnerable populations. And and for that reason, it's it's a extremely stressful job with a very high burnout rate. And to think that they were making only $43,000 before this raise. We were talking about this in the newsroom the other day, and one of our colleagues mentioned that his teenage daughter makes $25 an hour working at a bakery when you factor in her tips. Anyway, county council approved this through a change to the bargaining agreement that also lets social workers receive faster raises because you'd be moving through four step increases rather than the current nine step increases. And the pay increase will be supported through the health and human services levy and and some state and federal reimbursements. Hopefully this will boost, uh, you know, recruitment though and and will attract those who are drawn to social work as they're calling despite the low pay because the division of children and family services currently has 150 social worker vacancies they have 335 social workers and they've lost 103 this year only one of those was to retirement so it's really conditions morale pay that that are causing well, people to feel like they they want to find the exits and let, let's talk about that amount. They're saying it makes them among the highest paid in the state, but that's the among the highest paid that work for a county government. It that's doesn't true. put it into the comparison with what they might be able to make in a much less stressful job. They're, they're overworked. There's not enough of them. They're overworked. They're working for people that aren't the smartest in the way they manage things. And let's face it, they, they make life or death decisions. And if they make the wrong decision and a kid dies as a result, it's on their heads. So this is about as stressful as it can be. These folks deal with some of the most important issues that government can deal with, making decisions about the safety of children. And I'm sorry, 54000 a year is just not enough. No, no. And, and to be down 150 social workers, imagine what the caseload must be like for the remaining social workers. Mm-hmm. And that just... Get that puts that spiral, that death spiral, into effect. Where the the greater the caseload, the the worse the the burnout becomes, and then you lose, you continue to lose your your valued employees, and it just gets worse and worse because then the caseload grows, the burnout intensifies, and how they need to they need. Hopefully, this will stem that that loss. But I don't know that they've ever had enough social workers working for Cuyahoga County. You know, I shadowed them 12 years ago. Um, one of the people who spoke out for Caitlin's story originally, it's like, I, I talked to that woman 12 years ago and right. she's still working at the county. God bless um, her. Right. Exactly. They were overworked then. And it, it feels like it's, you know, the, the caseloads have gotten, the number of kids in custody has grown. It grew during the pandemic. And these are grueling jobs. I mean, physically grueling, emotionally grueling. You have to make some of the most difficult decisions and go into 
houses most of us would not want to be in every day and see situations that just really, you know, are hard to deal with mm-hmm. emotionally. Yeah, it's not it's not enough money. I mean, fifty four thousand for you have to get the degree. You've got to get the license. That there's rigor that goes into it, and then you have some of the most important responsibilities going. We should be treating these folks better to make them want to stay. I think didn't when they raised the jail guard pay, wasn't that higher than this? I think it is. I mean, we're paying more to jail guards who are dealing with adults. It's an important job than we are to the people that are making life or death Mm. decisions on children. It's good that they raised it, but it isn't enough. It's today in Ohio. What is it all being used for? Is Greater Cleveland going through a boom in industrial space? Laura, this was a surprise from our real estate writer, Megan Sims. Yeah, we're looking at 9.8 million square feet of industrial space added over the last five years. And the majority of this is warehouse space. And a lot of it is because of e-commerce that companies want to be closer to their customers because people expect really fast delivery so that they have all these giant warehouses where they stock things. Northeast Ohio has a large customer base. So it's it's just been growing. And we're looking at some construction projects that have a million square feet alone in one project. Uh, and they're, they're going up all over the place. Obviously, Cuyahoga County is probably seeing less of it because it's been so built up. So we're seeing giant projects in places like Lodi or um, Westfield Township in Medina. So, but yeah, they don't expect this craze to keep on growing the way it's been going um, because online shopping at some point has to plateau, but it is really interesting. Yeah, it was a, it was a good surprise. It's good for the economy. Check out Megan's story. It's on cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. Miles Garrett, who somehow emerged almost unscathed after a horrific accident in which he rolled his Porsche multiple times after practice with the Browns, was cited for speeding in the crash. It turns out he likes to speed. Lisa, what do we know? Well, it's obvious that Miles Garrett feels the need, the need for speed. (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to drop that Top Gun reference. (laughs) But uh, 26-year-old Garrett has gotten five speeding tickets in the last four years. The Monday accident uh, in Medina County, he was going 65 in a 45. And I heard reports that he swerved to avoid an animal. I don't know if that's verified or not. He was cited for failure to control his vehicle by the Ohio Highway Patrol. But it turns out in September of 2021, he was going 120 in a 70 mile per hour zone on I-71 near Ohio 3. The very next day at the same location, he was driving 105 in a 70 mile an hour zone, although the judge later amended that to 99 miles per hour. <laughs> I guess there's, maybe it's stratified by, you know, how much you're over the limit. But anyway, uh, in May 2020 on I-77, uh, he, there was another speeding ticket. He lost two points on his license or got two points. And then October 2019 in Cleveland Municipal Court, we don't have any details on that, but that was another speeding ticket. And also one in 2018 in Delaware County. So he got six points on his license in 2021 for those two tickets. And then you only get 12 points over two years before your license gets suspended. Well, 
if you own a Porsche, you got to figure you want to go fast in it. I've always thought people that buy Corvettes and Porsches and other cars oh, that yeah. are just meant to go fast. What's the point if you're not going to make them go fast once in a while? He clearly enjoys doing that. And it is almost a miracle that with what happened to his car that he and his passenger were not seriously injured. When you roll your car, very bad things can happen. It's today in Ohio. We talked a few days ago about a big Marvel movie shooting an action sequence in Cleveland, and then the director quit. Layla, is it still happening? I mean, it sounds like the filming of Blade will still happen in Cleveland eventually, but Marvel has definitely been thrown off its schedule by the abrupt departure of the film's director, Bassam Tariq, and we will not be seeing action scenes filmed on the streets of Cleveland during the window of November 17th through the 22nd, as we were promised. So it's kind of unclear why Tariq split. Uh, Marvel put out a statement that said, due to continued shifts in our production schedule, Bossom is no longer moving forward as director of Blade, but will remain an executive producer on the film. So it's, it's not clear if that's intimating that the shifts in the production schedule were his fault or that he was just unable to accommodate them and had to move on or something. He he put out this cheerful message that said it's been an honor working on the film and that he's eager to see where the next director takes it. But Hollywood insiders have spilled the tea that the script's kind of lame <laughs> and that there the only there are only two action scenes and and that the star Mahershala Ali is kind of frustrated with with the whole project. Um, so, well, and if you go much later. You're going to be doing it on snowy, icy streets. That's true. Right? They'll I have mean, to rewrite the have, script. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you might to have to include a bunch of potholes. <laughs> 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 Could make for a much more exciting action scene. Okay. Although they're still saying they will use Cleveland versus extras and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. But they took down the posting where they were asking for Clevelanders to sign up for that. Uh, so I guess they'll have to re-up that when it's time. That'll probably be, be our first clue that we're back in business here. Okay. It's today in Ohio. That's it for a Friday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Hope everybody who listens has a good weekend and comes back Monday for another conversation about the news. 